Got my trusty pulpit here. For those of you that were in field training, if you weren't in field training, you'll have to ask someone or maybe you'll have to be here next week to learn what that comment meant. Romans chapter 2, let me read and pray and uh, ask God's help for us this morning in his word. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps, his pre- keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Would you pray? Uh, Father, we bow this moment just to pause and consider what this 2,000-year-old text, speaking about things that are some 3,000-plus years old. God, we read a text like this and and wonder, what, what does that mean for us here now. And God, I pray that we would see the, the point at which you were trying to convey through Paul to those first century readers, that we would see what you have done in Christ Jesus, who died and rose from the dead, and that we would better be able to apply these words to our life this morning together before we leave this place. God, I pray that you would save. Save some who have been hurt by those who have called, them Christ, called themselves Christians. I pray that you would save some who have called themselves a Christian for many years but this morning have realized that they are not. And God, I pray that you would sanctify, that you would make more like Christ those of us who call ourselves Christians and have believed on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved and yet are not like Christ as we should be. And so God... I do pray what we just sang. Um, Build your church through your word on the solid rock and foundation that is Jesus Christ. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I joked with Tim earlier this morning in writing out my notes for you to take, there is a polarizing title for you to write at the top of your uh, note pages uh, this evening, or this morning. Christianity won't save you. Now, you may be thinking, well, what do you mean by that? What what does that mean? Uh, We will see very shortly um, what I mean by that. You can probably guess some of you what I mean by that, but I hope to explain it better as we move through this text. Have you ever heard someone say, uh, do as I say, not as I do? And when you <laughs> don't, no fingers, no fingers here, no pointing uh, at anybody. Uh, when somebody says that, uh, their best intentions would be, you know, somebody saying that, uh, admitting that they're not perfect, and that yet they're going to try to point you to the Word of God and going to try to help encourage you to go in this path, even if I don't go in that path. Paul said, you know, uh, so long as I imitate Christ, imitate me. But there may be times when I don't imitate Christ. That would be like the best of intentions. But there are a whole other group of, of people who are going to say that who have no intention of honoring the Lord. And they're going to tell you to do one thing, but they themselves are going to go the other way. Uh, we call those hypocrites, right? And we ourselves have been one at a time or two, unfortunately. And Paul has been working through this, what started as a really wide uh, swath of people in Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where he was condemning the world who had creation right before them and yet didn't worship God. And they instead worshiped themselves by living open in open, unrepentant sin and did whatever pleased themselves. And Paul was saying, you're, you're going to be judged. In, in fact, the wrath of God is upon you because he's given you up to those things. And not only was your heart hard, you're, you're hardening your heart every step of the way. And the judgment of God is going to come upon you. Well, then Paul, next in chapter 2, 1 through 16, he kind of narrowed the field a little bit. And there was another group of people who had lived the very same life, but not done it openly and publicly, they'd done it privately and secretly. And Paul's saying, you think you're any better off? You, you may be worse off. At least they are doing it and know they're doing it and admitting that they're doing it. You're not even admitting that you're doing it. And so there was another group who did so secretly, and Paul said the judgment of God is going to be upon you. You are storing up wrath for yourself on that day of judgment. Well, this week, again, he narrows the focus even further. Uh, At this point, the readers of Romans, Jews and Gentiles, as Paul has already uh, been made known uh, most prominently in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Both readers, up to this point, the Jews reading this letter are probably like, you told them, Paul, get those Gentiles. See, yeah, that's what we've been talking about. You know, pointing back at them. And then... Paul steps back with this this question. And look at it in in chapter 2, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, and and as that narrowing focus gets to verse 17, he's singling out Jews. He's speaking directly to uh, those of Hebrew heritage, those who have called themselves Jews Uh, who are there in Rome. And he singles them out because they too are storing up wrath for themselves. They too are going to be judged by God and be found lacking in the end. 
And, and Paul doesn't want Gentiles or Jews to stand before God on the day of judgment and be found lacking. He wants all of them to be found secure in Christ, to be saved, to be righteous in God's eyes because Christ's righteousness has been given to them. He wants none of them. And yet, to be able to see Jew and Gentile um, standing before God justified and saved in heaven, he has to make sure they know that we are all sinners. And he's getting down to the end. By the time we get through chapter 3, no one will be left unspoken to regarding their sinfulness. And this is what he tries to make the point of in verse 17. If you're taking notes, you'll see this first line come up. He wants them to realize that the law of God couldn't save them. The law of God couldn't save the Jews. In chapter 2, verse 17 through 24, the law of God couldn't save the Jews. In verse 17, he says, but if you, if you call yourself a Jew, a Jew, one of the descendants of Abraham and God's chosen people in the Old Testament, those who had inherited the promises of God, those who had inherited the covenants of God, those who had been delivered by God, those who had the law of God, those who had the sign of God in circumcision, those who had the tabernacle of God, those who had the temple of God, uh, those who had the patriarchs, the fathers, the judges, the kings, the prophets, these Jews, if you call yourself a Jew, Paul says, and then he just has brick after brick after brick after brick after brick, just laying a wall that is going to end up being a, a wall of evidence against them. But he, but he starts out and he says, if you yourself call yourself a Jew, why would they call themselves a Jew? Because they, number one, they rely on the law. And, and what Paul is really saying here, you, you Jews, you were the possessors of the law of God. It was given to you on tablets of stone. You possessed the law. And, and the Jews thought themselves above the Gentiles because they, in their backpack, had the law of God. We're better than everybody else. We've got this. We've got the law. We rely on the law. Not only that, next brick, you boast in God, which seems like something that you should do. You should boast in God. But what the Jews were doing were uh, boasting simply in their position of worshiping one God versus this Roman culture of worshiping many different gods. And Paul is singling them out, saying, you think you're better just because you, you boast and you worship in one God, as if it's any different from them worshiping in all of these other gods when you're not doing it with sincerity. Or... Next brick, and you know His will. How do the Jews know His will, God's will? Because they have God's Word. They know what is right, but they're unwilling to do it themselves. That's what he gets at in the next line, in the next brick. And approve what is excellent. They're able to tell you right from wrong, but what Paul's going to get at is, but you're unable to do it, or at least unwilling to do it. You can t say what's right and wrong according to the Scriptures, but you're not doing it. Because you are instructed from the law. Again, holding fast to this, this high position of a, being a Jew simply because they have the law. Verse 19 adds another layer of this. If that's like the first story of bricks, this is like the second story of bricks. This is a two-story wall of judgment that's going to come falling down on them. We had one if in verse 17. Here's another if in 19. And if you are sure that you yourself, 
And then listen, four different titles that they uh, put upon themselves. Good titles, really good. And, and if they actually lived out these things, these would be great. And if you are sure, if you're so sure, you can almost hear Paul, I think, I think he would emphatically be saying, and if you're so sure that, you're, that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. If you're so sure, you who call yourself a Jew, you, you're so sure that you're a light to the darkness, a guide to the blind. You're so sure of these things. Paul is about to say, then why not? Then he gives them four rhetorical questions that don't need to be answered. Uh, they, they don't need to be, an- nobody needs to raise their hand and say, yeah, I haven't done that. Yes, I've, I've done that. Everybody in their heart knew what was happening. Unfortunately, the Jews weren't living up to their calling. And they allowed their privileges and position as Jews to build up their pride in their hearts, which caused them to then live selfishly. Unfortunately, not only did they live selfishly, it kept them from sharing the gospel with those who most needed it. The Jews were living so selfishly, holding fast to their high position as Jews, that they were unwilling to share the gospel with the Gentiles who needed it. They were unwilling to live in accordance with it themselves, and therefore they weren't willing to share it with others. That's why after two ifs, you've got a then in verse 21. If this is true, and it was, first layer, all the bricks, and if this is true, second layer, and all the bricks, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? I mean, up to this point, the Jews have been like, yeah, Yeah, we hold to the law. Yeah, we boast in God. Yeah, we're guides to the blind. Yes, all of those things. And then Paul turns the tables on them and says, then you who teach teach others, why aren't you teaching yourself? You who teach Sunday school to little kids and tell them to do this, that, or the other, and you're unwilling to do this. You parents who tell your kids to act this way and that way in public, unwilling to do the same, You pastors and teachers telling your congregation to do this, that, or the other, and then unwilling to do it yourself. You who teach others, do you teach yourself? Answer, nope. They knew it. And then he gets, then he he dives in deeper. This is like general overarching rhetorical question. And then he gets just real practical. Probably not, not speaking to Uh, that first one generally probably speaking to most Jews, but then diving down deeper and hitting specifics as a good preacher will at times. They don't hit everybody, but if it hits and the shoe fits, then this is what happens. It gets really specific. And some reading this letter had probably done these very same things. And if they hadn't done them physically, they probably had done them spiritually. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? There were some of these Jews who knew the law. Uh, Number eight, thou shall not steal. But they were stealing. Maybe nobody else knew about it. Uh, Or maybe they did. And Paul is calling calling out their hypocrisy. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Answer, yeah, some of them. And others, if they weren't doing it physically, they were doing it spiritually. We could do ourselves 
uh, some justice if we would remember Jesus' words when he spoke about the law of God. In Matthew chapter 5, in, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, that if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. The same is true of all of the, the laws of God. And it's not simply about the fact that, oh, well, I've never murdered, I've never stabbed or shot anyone. Never done that, but so I'm good to go. No, it's, it's the heart of the law that, that the Lord was trying to get to. Or he, he speaks about stealing, he spoke, speaks about adultery. The end of verse 22, you who abhor idols, you who hate idol worship, you who live in the midst of this Roman culture and watch them worship all of their false gods and you abhor all of their idols, do you not rob temples? They did. Literally, some of the Jews would rob the pagan temples of their idols so that others couldn't worship them. Does that make it right? No, Paul is saying. 23, you who boast in the law. He sums it up right here. You who boast in the law. Even simply the possession of the law because they're definitely not obeying the law. You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. That's the point. Circle the word dishonor in your Bibles or, or write out that word. That's the key. That's the word. You who boast in the law, dishonor God. The exact opposite thing that they were supposed to do according to the law of God. What was the first commandment? There is one God, and He alone is to be worshipped. He alone is to be honored. And the lifestyle that they were living, they weren't even living in accordance with the, the law of God. They couldn't even obey the first commandment to worship Him only. They're breaking His very law and dishonoring God. And then Paul goes another step. Not, not only did he just summarize it in verse 23, but then he uses an Old Testament Scripture to take that, that law, that Scripture that they possess and say that they hold fast to and uses it against them. For as it is written, and here is where Paul is quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 5, and Paul writes it as, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul summarized it by saying, you are dishonoring God. He quotes Isaiah, and Isaiah was saying that the same thing was happening hundreds of years ago by the, by the Jews when Isaiah was living. And if you go back and read in Isaiah 51 and in 52, uh, it, it's at that point where Israel was being oppressed by Assyria, and instead of proclaiming the truth to the Gentiles and to the nations in the midst of a hard time and holding fast to the law of God, holding fast to the truth of God, instead of proclaiming the gospel to the nations, they were complaining and wailing and bemoaning against God. Go back and read chapter 51. Multiple times, Israel telling God, Wake up, God! What are you doing? What about us? Even though they had lived in sin up to that point, and that's the reason God allowed Assyria to come in and to take them captive. And they're wailing and complaining against God because of their present circumstances weren't what they wanted, when in reality they should have been proclaiming the truth about God. And so Isaiah writes in Isaiah 52.5, Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, 
and continually all the day my name is being despised. The Jews' action in that day, rather than drawing the nations to the Lord, were actually causing the Gentiles and the Assyrians and the nations to not want anything to do with him in that moment. And Paul is saying, you're doing the very same thing. The way that you're living is causing the Gentiles to want nothing to do with your God. And so Paul says, you're dishonoring God. Not only are you dishonoring your God, you're causing others to blaspheme His name. You ought to be, above all people, drawing people to the Lord, proclaiming the good news of salvation in God alone, and instead, nobody wants anything to do with your God. They're laughing at you. They're pointing fingers at you. They're saying it's your fault. That's why I don't want to follow your, your one true God. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now at this point you're thinking, okay, Brian, a lot of Jewish history right there. I mean, I'm good. Now I'm up on my history. That's helpful, but what does this, what does this mean for us here? What does this mean for us 21 centuries later uh, to be able to apply this to our lives. Well, I, I mean, you can't help but read that statement in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, and then let's just translate that to 21st century. The Jews in the first century, they lived in a, uh, in a at least subculture, maybe in Rome, but a culture of Judaism, uh, thinking that they were better than, than others. Uh, they called themselves Jews um, because they were born to the heritage of Abraham, but they didn't act like Jews. Well, what about 21st century in the West? We don't have cultural Judaism, but we definitely have cultural Christianity. We have people who call themselves Christians because they were born in America. And our founders were Christian. And our paperwork is Christian. And we have Christian hobby stores and Christian chicken stores and Christian this and Christian that. And so, yeah, I don't worship Hindu statues. I don't worship uh, in the Muslim faith. I'm not an atheist. So, yeah, I'm a Christian. It would do us well if we would rewrite Romans chapter 2, 17 through 24 in a 21st century cultural Christianity context. But if you call yourself a Christian and you rely on a few verses taken out of context in the Bible and you boast in Jesus and have a cross on your wall, and you know His will for others' life and approve what is excellent in your life because you are instructed from your favorite verses. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in multiple different translations the embodiment of knowledge and the truth, you then who teach others on social media do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal yourself by not giving back to God? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? An adultery of the heart? We do these things, we've dishonored God. We do these things we call ourselves Christians and live in that type of way, we're causing other people to not want anything to do with our God. Even blaspheming our God. We need to consider 
What, what does our life tell of our God? Is our life, are our words and our lives, lives drawing people to the Lord or pushing people away from Him? If you call yourself a Christian, are we dishonoring God by disobeying His Word in front of the world? Are we wailing and complaining about the things of this life instead of proclaiming the good news of the gospel of eternal life? Are we causing unbelievers to blaspheme the name of God because they've seen another Christian live hypocritically? As Christians, so-called Christians, have we literally taken the name of our Lord Jesus Christ upon ourselves and yet continued to live in sin, blaspheming His name. The law of God couldn't save the Jews, and your Bible won't save you. Now, that's polarizing for a, for a reason, but just because you have a Bible on your shelf or in your drawer, there's a lot of hotels that have Bibles in their drawers or in their, their rooms. It doesn't make them Christian rooms. It doesn't make any the fact that somebody stays in there a Christian. Just having a Bible, just calling yourself a Christian, even going to church doesn't make you a Christian unless we've believed what's in the Bible to the point that it's caused us to live radically different lives, that it's transformed us from the inside out and continues to transform us from the inside out. We're uh, at risk, just like the Jews were in the first century, just like the Jews were doing 600 years before during Isaiah's time, just like the Jews did 1,400 years before Christ during Moses' time, we're at risk of doing the very same thing that they did then if we only call ourselves a Christian because we have a Bible or we go to church or we're a church member somewhere. But it wasn't just the law of God. It was circumcision as well. It was another aspect of being a Jew that they thought they were better than the Gentiles, the rest of the world. And circumcision, though, Paul is going to prove. Not only could the law of God not save the Jews alone, but neither would their circumcision. Circumcision was a physical sign that God commanded the Israelites in Genesis chapter 17, specifically Abraham. And it was a sign of the covenant and the promise that God made with them. That He would be their God and that they would be His people. And this was to be the sign. Not do this and then you become one of My people. You are My people. Therefore, let this sign be upon you. This sign of circumcision. It was a sign, um, according to Genesis 17, 11. Later in Romans, in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says and describes it as a seal. It was a seal of righteousness that the Jews received by faith. And this is not where they earned their righteousness, lest they were saved by their works. It was a sign and seal of their salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in God alone. And Paul uses this against them as well in verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. So he's saying Circumcision is of great value to you. It's a sign and a seal if you continue in faith that leads to obeying the law. It's of great, significant value to you. It's a reminder to yourself. It's a sign to the rest of the world. This is of value to you. 
if you obey the law and continue in faith, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. He's saying, like, if you don't continue in faith, if you continue to live lives breaking the very law that you so proudly possess, it's as if you're not even circumcised. And so in verse 26, he says, So if a man who is uncircumcised, the Gentiles, keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? When? When will that be regarded? Before the Lord. Paul is saying a Gentile is going to be as a Jew before God, saved by God, one of God's children, if by faith they follow the Lord. They obey God's Word. They worship the Lord alone. Then he, he goes on in verse 27 on the other side of that, then he who is physically uncircumcised but, but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Again, tables being turned over on the Jews. They had all of these things going for them, they thought. The law, the physical sign of circumcision. They've got all of these things, all of these promises, all stored up for them. And Paul is saying, you have yet to let them actually impact your heart. You have yet to actually worship me as you ought in response to these things. And in the end, the Gentiles are going to be the ones that condemn you because they have looked to the Lord, repented of their sins, believed, been saved, and you haven't. And in the end, they're going to be the ones that are condemning you. They were treating their circumcision kind of like a uh, lucky charm, a magic token, kind of saying, I can live however I want, but I'm circumcised, so I'm good to go. I've got my ticket into heaven. I've got God's grace over me, so I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. I know I'm a Jew. God has to save me. I'm one of his chosen people. The Old Testament <laughs> made sure uh, that was uh, clearly condemned, saying that you're not a Jew simply outwardly, but inwardly. And Paul is bringing that back up. God who commanded the Israelites to be circumcised also commanded that they needed to, more importantly, be circumcised in their hearts, even in the law. And so Paul is turning the tables over on top of them. And he sums it up saying, for no one. Remember, where did we start in verse 17? But if you call yourself a Jew, everybody's hands raised up, all the Jews. Yep, that's me right here. Boast in the law, circumcised on the eighth day, all of this. But he says, for none of you are a Jew, merely, merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Paul is saying that was just a seal. That was just a sign, an outward sign of what should have happened on the inside in your hearts. In 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. Paul is saying, you have all of these privileges available to you, and yet you have not taken advantage of them. You've not repented. You're not a true Jew. You may be one outwardly. You may be one according to Ancestry.com, but you're not one inwardly. 
You're not a true Jew of the heart. This is condemning to these Jews who were hearing Romans read to them out loud in a gathering uh, or later even reading it themselves. Ezekiel chapter 33 is uh, the idea behind it is likely referenced uh, by Paul and, and used here to bring forth this argument where Ezekiel has these condemning words for people like the first century Jews hundreds of years before then, like Isaiah. And he says the same thing was happening then, and as a result of it, Jerusalem would fall and Israel would go into exile into Babylon. Ezekiel 33, verse 30 says, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, they say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they came to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it, for with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And when this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Do as I say, not as I do, Ezekiel was saying. Was, uh, that's what was happening in, in the people. But a couple chapters later, three chapters later, God says to Israel that he'll bring Israel back to Jerusalem for the sake of his holy name. Do you remember what was dishonored by the Jews' actions? They were dishonoring God. They were blaspheming His name. But God says He will act for the sake of His holy name. Ezekiel 36 verse 20 says, But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned My holy name. And in that people, uh, in that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of His land. But I had concern for My holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned, dishonored, blasphemed among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned, dishonored, and blasphemed among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Paul is trying to say, this has happened before. Remember what happened to the Jews during the time of Ezekiel. Do you not remember that the Lord allowed them to be taken captive and disciplined them and punished them because they dishonored the Lord? They held them, said they held to the law, but they weren't actually living in accordance with it. Don't let that be you today, Paul says to those first century Jews. Don't let that be a description of you. Paul himself being one of the best Jews out there. Paul is saying, I used to do what they did during the time of Ezekiel. I, I used to do what you're doing now. I was the best Jew. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself, listen, I myself, Paul says, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. 
If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh or to call himself a Jew, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Law, circumcision, unable to save, Paul knew. And he gave them both up for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul was trying to get these Jews to realize that circumcision doesn't save you. That the Jews would not be saved because they were simply circumcised. Paul will say later in Romans 3.30, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Or later in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Circumcision would not save the Jews, and your baptism or any other Christian habit won't save you. Your church membership, your baptism, your uh, attendance record, as perfect as it may be, it won't save you. No, we need to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands. How? By putting off the body of the flesh and sin by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. They called themselves Jews because they held to the law and they held to their circumcision, but they didn't live in accordance with the law. And there are many who call themselves Christians because they have a Bible or because they were sprinkled with some water at one point or even dunked under the water at some point and think that they can live however they want. And that one day they'll be saved. Simply Christian in name only, but will live however they want. And in doing so, if we have done that, we dishonor God and have blasphemed His name and are likely causing others to blaspheme His name as well. Again, we could take that passage, 
put it into a 21st century perspective. If you call yourself a Christian, realize that looking back at verse 25, baptism indeed is of value if you continue to obey all the Scriptures. But if you continually break the Scriptures, your baptism becomes unbaptism. So if a man who is not baptized keeps the Word of God, will not his unbaptism be regarded as baptism? Then he who is physically unbaptized but keeps the Word of God will condemn you who have a Bible and baptism but break the Word of God. For no one is a Christian. Listen. For no one is a Christian who is merely one outwardly, nor is baptism outward and physical. But a Christian is one inwardly. And baptism is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Baptism, like circumcision, was a sign and a seal, not a means of salvation and grace. But many people have treated it like that. Oh, I'm baptized, so I'm a Christian. I can live how I want. But in the end, they'll be fine. They'll realize that like these Jews on that day 2,000 years ago had a two-story wall of evidence against them. If you call yourself a Christian because you have a Bible and you've been baptized and yet have been unwilling to live in accordance with God's Word and following Christ not only in baptism but in all of the ways of your life, you're going to have not just a two-story three-story, you're going to have a skyscraper worth of evidence, brick by brick, that will condemn you before the Lord. We need to remember and or realize for the very first time what the Bible says, Old Testament and New Testament, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't save you. Having a Bible doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't save you. Christ alone saves. And it's through faith in Him that leads to repentance, that leads to obedience, that then leads to baptism, that then leads to a faithful commitment to a lifetime commitment to God's Word. Those things don't save you. They prove that you're saved. They prove that you're a child of God. You don't need to have a history being a descendant of Abraham to be confident of your salvation. You need to be in Christ. That's why one of the songs that we sang this morning was was so good that Uh, We are children of God through faith to be received by Him one day. So, if you call yourself a Christian but don't look like one outwardly, it may be because you're not a Christian inwardly. A Christian is one inwardly and baptism is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. And only those who have been saved by God and made alive in Christ and been given the Holy Spirit can truly call themselves Christians. And their lives should honor and lift high the name of Jesus to receive the praise from God in the end, not from man. And rather than causing others to blaspheme the name of God because we call ourselves a Christian and don't act like it, we should, we should call cause others to call upon the name of God because they see the transformed life before them. So Christian, maybe you've recognized in yourself certain thoughts or actions that contradict your faith, dishonor God, and even cause others to blaspheme God for the sake of His holy name. Repent of your sin 
this morning. And walk by faith. A faith that leads to obedience, proving that He's given you a new heart and His very own Spirit to honor and glorify Him in this life. Use your life to not only honor the Lord, but to draw others to Him with the years that you have left. But maybe you're, you're here and you, you don't even want to call yourself a Christian because you've been hurt by Christians who have called themselves Christians but are really not Christians. This may have caused you to even blaspheme God and want nothing to do with God, Jesus Christ, or Christianity. I want you to hear what I think that God's Word and what God's people would say to that. That you realize that Christianity is about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about that person. And you should repent and believe in Christ because He alone can save. Whether that person looks like a Christian or doesn't. Or maybe you're here and you call yourself a Christian, but like the Jews in this passage, um, you call yourself one simply because you grew up in a Christian home. Or because you grew up in America and not India. Or the Middle East. Or in Asia. Or in an atheist country. Maybe you were baptized But calling yourself a Christian and being a true Christian are two totally different things. I urge you to consider today who or what you're trusting to save you in the end. Simply through repentance of your sin and faith in Christ alone will take that skyscraper wall of evidence that we all have against us and cause it to come crushing down. But it won't be upon you. It will have already been upon Christ who died on the cross taking your brick after brick after brick after brick of unfaithfulness upon himself and died on the cross was buried in the tomb, and yet rose victorious over sin and death on the third day. And so when you stand before God, though you have dishonored Him, you will stand sinless, righteous, blameless before God because Christ Himself has taken your sins. Don't just call yourself a Christian. Become a Christian by repenting of your sin and believing in Christ alone this morning. Let's pray. Father, it's hard not to apply these truths to our lives because we so easily fall complacent and lax in our Christian faith. We so easily can call ourselves a Christian one minute on Sunday morning, even wake up early, even give an offering, even sing songs, and yet the very next minute, the very next hour, the very next day, act in opposition to Christ, your Son. And so, Father, forgive us. I pray that if there are some here this morning who have called themselves Christian for a long time, some who we might even be surprised that they may call themselves a Christian and yet on the inside not be one. God, that you would give them the willingness to lay aside all pride like the Jews had and like so many still have and simply repent and confess their sin to you And call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to save them. Because at the name of Christ Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. 
best to do it now and to live in accordance with that truth rather than to do that on the day of judgment that is to come. Better to live a life honoring the Lord rather than dishonoring the Lord, storing up wrath for the day to come. So God, would you save? God, would you sanctify? Use your word to do both. Use your spirit to do both. And may some not only be saved, but from here on out, spend their lives honoring and glorifying you by being baptized, by becoming a church member, by doing those good things, but not simply to earn salvation, but because they have been saved. And so God, go, go before us, go with us, go after us. And have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.